Welcome to Long Story Long. I'm your host, Lisa Curry. Today's guest is one of my favorites. I've got Lori Kilmartin on. She is an incredible touring comedian and comedy writer. Uh, She spent the last 10 years writing for Conan O'Brien. She has a special out called 45 Jokes About My Dead Dad. Um, It's about her dad passing, but listen to me. I've got two alive parents, and I absolutely love the special because she is a killer joke writer. She also has a brand new album out called Corset. I've listened to it multiple times. It's incredible. You can stream it wherever you're listening to this, but really, you should go to her website and you should buy it, or her socials, or wherever you should buy it, um, because that's how Lori gets paid, okay? That's how all of us get paid. So buy the album. It's 10 bucks. It's five years worth of work. Uh, it's very well worth it. Um, I think you're really going to love this conversation, so here you go. Uh, hey, Lori, how's it going? It's going okay. It's going okay. How, about, how are you? Good. I'm good. I'm really uh, excited that you're doing a panel after this. Um, I, yeah, I'm trying to see that. I, there's like one of the topics is Ted Cruz, and I, 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 my brain tune, tunes out when his name mm-hmm. comes up because I loathe him so much that I can't even. I don't. There's nothing whimsical or funny about his existence. No, me. absolutely. So I really not. have to have to work on this one. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I feel you. Um, so you grew up up north in the Bay Area. Yeah, I'm so confused by. Bay and the South Bay. And I don't know why this is so confusing to me, but I'm not entirely sure what the Bay Area is. It's like Oakland, San Francisco, that kind of stuff. Oakland, San Francisco, and then uh, all the way down to uh, like San Jose. And then some people would even, no, I don't think Santa Cruz. Once you get past San Jose, now you're getting into closer to Central California. Okay. uh, In the Monterey area. But then I was up in the East Bay, which uh, is a little east of Oakland and Berkeley. It's called Walnut Creek. It's uh, it's kind of, it's a burb. It's like a, I I would say it's the Pasadena of the Bay area. Okay. Um, I like that. Sounds really appealing. Yeah. Yes. And no. Like when I was growing up there, it was a lot less uh, upscale. It got Mm -hmm. upscale. Like, like a lot of places did in the last 15 years, they just, you know, once the pottery barn comes in, um, uh, the housing prices skyrocket <laughs> yeah. and everything's ruined. Yeah, because they know they know people can finally afford that furniture. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> when you were a kid, did you know you wanted to be a comedian? I did not. I um I think I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to kind of be like Carol Burnett. You know, oh, yeah. uh, my that was that was like the only time I saw my mom really belly laugh. I think was during the Carol Burnett show, and mm-hmm. and uh, she kind of reminded me of my mom. So I wanted to be that. And, uh, and I think because Carol Burnett did a little monologue up front and she would talk to the crowd and I, I'd, I'd love to go back and see that now and like, see the full footage. Like, did she do a half hour and then they cut it down to two minutes or yeah. whatever, or was it all plants and stuff? I have no idea. It's kind of interesting. Um, but I, that, I, I think I really liked that part of her show as well. So maybe that kind of stuck in my head. And then, um, I started doing stand-up after uh, going to some comedy shows in the Bay Area and then seeing some some like kind of average acts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have to be very good to do this. Like that's always what like does a, it. Like a great headliner, you're like, oh, I can't yeah. do that. But then yeah. you see like the person going up in front of them is like just okay. It's like, well, I can be just okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that was sort of my that was my on ramp. Was that obviously uh, mediocrity was uh, rewarded, and uh, <laughs> I thought, oh, okay, I'm in. <laughs> and it is still, which is, you know, that's, that's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is More great. Really, <laughs> very, 
it's very democratic. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So did your, when, like, as you were growing up, did you kind of um, lean into that at all? Or did you, did you go to college and try to go the more traditional route? I did. uh, Let's see. I was sort of funny within my little group, but I wasn't a class Mm -hmm. clown at all. And um, in uh, college, I went to college for a little bit. I was a swimmer. That was more my identity Mm -hmm. than student. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so I dropped out, uh, you know, as my, as I got less fast and I could see that I was probably going to be dropped from the team. Uh So um, I dropped out of college and then I was uh, lost for a couple of years, you know, depressed, a lot, a lot of things that happened to you in those years when you're trying to figure out who you are and all that stuff. And yeah. that's when I started going to stand up shows and, and then it, it, that planted the seed. Also, I remember, cause I was real overweight. I had quit swimming and gained like, I don't know, 50 or 60 pounds. Oh. Yes. I, yeah. So I was like, I went from being like athlete to just it, it, a total different body image. I was very depressed. And, um, I remember thinking the cool thing about standup was you, it didn't matter how you looked. <laughs> yeah. No, I, Lori, I, <laughs> I swear that's, that's like part true, of it. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt it at the time. I'm like, Oh, if you're fat, you could just make fun of yourself. Okay. That's cool. I don't have to, <laughs> to do this job. Right. So like, never mind all the other jobs where like what you look like doesn't matter at all. Oh, right. <laughs> like remotely. <laughs> it didn't me to go to law school. That is true. Yes. That's so <laughs> that funny. Like, Wait, oh, so did the only law? option for me is stand-up comedy. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you pursue acting at all then? Um, yeah, I took, I, yeah, I took acting classes at, um, at UCLA. And then, um, later when I moved to New York, I got really, I took a lot of classes in a couple of like studios, mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, I would say seven or eight years. So I, I, I did that pretty heavily, oh, but wow. I didn't do a lot of auditions. I don't know. I, I, I kind of felt like maybe with my age group or something, like if you wanted an actress, my age, you had people that had studied at Juilliard. So why would you yeah. get a standup who just studied acting? You know what I mean? Yeah, um, absolutely. So <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I felt like, I don't know, I guess I thought the best move would be to lean into standup because at least I could be, you know, the Juilliard of that. If that's <laughs> Yeah. Right. You know what? That's what I consider you. So I think that uh, you could, you should brand yourself. <laughs> that way. Right. <laughs> did you start stand up then in the Bay Area or did you wait till you moved out? I started in the Bay Area. I started at a, an open mic at this comedy club called Foo Bars, mm-hmm. um, which was in Concord or Pleasant Hill at the time. That's uh, also in the East Bay. Uh-huh. And uh, my first set, I did, it was, it was, I didn't know it was a bringer show. I just invited everyone at the telemarketing company I worked at. <laughs> Amazing. And they all showed up and I killed and I was like, well, this is easy. And then <laughs> I went back the next week and I did, I didn't write anything new because I didn't need to, because mm-hmm. obviously yeah. I had it tonight, just I'm ready to go. <laughs> and then I did the same thing and I just bombed so badly. And, oh, then no. I, and then I just was, I was like, what happened? I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. And then I stopped mm-hmm. doing it for a year, but that's all I thought of. And I took stand-up classes. I took stand-up mm-hmm. classes with it's weird. There's, there was two men teaching stand-up in the Bay area and one of them still is, and he's very litigious. So I won't say his name, but he tried to make out with me during a class. So I, no. I stopped doing, taking it with him Wait, during the class. 
Yes. Yeah. He just gave me a big kiss. And I was and like, oh, I, you know, he had broken up with his wife. And it was just like, ugh. What? And, uh, but I paid for 10 classes in advance. Like he still owes me at least seven classes. <laughs> worth of and uh, the other guy was a guy named John Cantu, who uh-huh. used to was a former porn star that oh. didn't sexually harass me at all. Was the nicest guy. Okay, none of and this makes he, sense. <laughs> I know and nothing makes sense. Yeah, nothing makes sense. And um, he he was a bartender at the Holy City Zoo mm-hmm. with Robin Williams, and so I think they were pretty tight for a little while. And um, uh, and he was like Native American, and I think like one of like twelve children. He had a crazy story that I can't believe no one's made a movie of. But anyway, he taught classes at the Holy City Zoo during the the day, and that's one of those rooms where no one should be in it before like eleven p.m. Sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like this little tiny club, and it, being there during the day was just it was so jarring and weird, but. Uh, it was a very gentle class and you just got to practice doing stand up and holding the mic and taking the mic out of the stand. All the stuff that when you're first starting, you're so nervous, you can't even you're only trying to remember what you're going to say. And yeah. so the idea of touching the microphone is like it's too, too much. You can't you can't take it. So he kind of worked with us on all that kind of stuff. And um, so then like a year later, maybe like a year after my first open mic, then I went back. Um, I don't remember that that show at all. But after that, I was like, you know, every single night, you know, until now. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's yeah. really great. That's so diligent. I feel like I, I started a little bit and then I was like, I don't know if this will work. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't really do it. Um, yeah. well, that's kind of uh, what I did, you know? Yeah. It does feel really scary. I don't understand these people that are like, that's that just hit the ground running right away. I'm like, where did that confidence come from? What are you doing? <laughs> Are you? I, know, I, I still want to know how did John Mulaney start? Because with a lot I of money, him, I believe. Pardon? Yeah. I said with a lot of money. I think <laughs> is how. <laughs> but even when I met him, he was really new, and he was doing Best Week Ever. Like we were talking heads on Best uh-huh. Week Ever, so we would do these tours together. And he must have been like twenty-two, and he had full full bits, and he had stage presence, and he was really good. And I'm like, how do you? How do you get that? Like, I yeah. didn't get that till I'd been doing stand up for like 10 years and he just had it really early. So, some people, I don't know. It's yeah. everyone's journey is different, Lisa. Yeah, good for him. Good for him. I'm so happy for him. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> He's a dad now. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, how long did you do stand up in the Bay Area before you moved? Like, did you feel uh-huh. like you had a little bit of footing? Well, it's weird. Like when I, I started in 87 and then around, somewhere around 92, there like alt comedy started happening. Mm-hmm. Where it's weird. Like San Francisco always felt like alt comedy. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it, like any, like if you worked in Sacramento, you know, it was considered, you know, you're just out in the boonies, right? Like if you oh, did road okay. gigs there mm-hmm. and then you go back to the city <laughs> where you can do your smart jokes. Like San Francisco has <laughs> always like thought of itself like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so alt comedy kind of had that same sort of snobbiness, mm-hmm. but it was in LA. And um, so a bunch of my friends moved to LA, but I didn't feel that connection. And I, the one time I met Janine Garofalo, she, she was rude to me. So I'm like, oh, everyone in LA hates me now. <laughs> I'm like, I can't move there. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so then I, I, I just did road work based out of the Bay Area. And then after I did Montreal, I got Montreal in 98, I think. And uh, oh, nice. uh, an agent... <laughs> 
And AJ came up to me. She goes, oh, she moved to New York. And that was all I needed. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and then and then later, and she was kind of kooky. And uh-huh. so later, um, I I was talking to a woman and I was about to slam this agent. I was like, someone, someone just told me to move to New York. And she goes, yeah, that was me. And I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, my God, Lori. <laughs> I almost ruined everything, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, but she was kind of kooky. She was my agent for a little bit, but then she like, <laughs> she went into soap opera actors. So I'm sure, yeah. she found a home and is very successful. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, so then I, I had a couple friends that had moved to New York, some comic mm-hmm. friends. So I stayed with them on, you know, uh, different floors in mm-hmm. Williamsburg and in Upper East, Upper East Side. Um, they were working on the Daily Show at the time, like like it. Oh wow, nice! Working for Kilborn's Daily Show, if I remember, Jim Earl. Oh my goodness! And Ray James, and um, and then uh, I was like, oh yeah, this has got to happen. Like mm-hmm. I just fell in love with it, and so uh, I moved. Uh, like a couple months later, um, you know, this is like. 98 or 99. So I still, I got a roommate from the village voice, the print edition. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah. So I live with these two other ladies in, uh, in park slope. Uh, I, I didn't know awesome. where Brooklyn was. I didn't know yeah. what any borough was. <laughs> I didn't know who was Manhattan. I knew nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, so once I, once I settled in park slope and realized it was Brooklyn, I was like, all right, this is where I am. This is where Queens is. Like I, I literally just uh, was so ignorant of New York City. Um, and then I moved around a little bit uh, and uh, ended up in Harlem, uh, where I still have a place there. But um, yeah, and so I, I, in 90, excuse me, in 2009, I had a, I had a kid and no job. And then I got a job <laughs> offer in Los Angeles. And then I got fired from that show. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what to do there. Then I got hired at Conan. And so then I had 10 years at Conan. So that's my life. And that's it. <laughs> I wanted to go back to something because you, you skipped ahead. Uh, we do have another 40 minutes to fill. <laughs> Both of us are like, is this done? <laughs> is this enough? Oh no, I went to pass through my life. <laughs> um, uh, so wait, you moved in, you moved to New York, you move in with these three women. Oh, I remember what I said. Uh, yeah. Were the other, or the two women, were they creatives also, or was it just like random people? One was a creative. She uh, was a graphic designer. And then the other one, she sort of inadvertently gave me my first New York city joke which that was so important because I was coming to Manhattan to New York city with all this material that worked in road rooms, Mm -hmm. which is basically in front of suburban audiences, Mm -hmm. mostly white audiences, mostly couples, you know, people had a sitter and came out and stuff. And to, and I thought it would immediately work in front of a city crowd. And (laughs) I had some rough sets where I was like in shock. I'm like, Wait, wait, like when you tell a joke with the confidence, you know, this one's going to kill and it uh-huh. just gets nothing. And that, that feeling of, oh my God, what just happened? Right. So yeah. anyway, uh, I needed some more New York stuff. So mm-hmm. I had this woman I live with, this is true. She was a part-time uh, prostitute. Oh, okay. And she did like, she would temp and she would do prostituting and all this stuff. And so I think my first joke was, um, 
Uh, my roommate is a prostitute and a temp. That's how expensive New York City is. Turning tricks isn't enough money. You have to know Word and Excel, right? <laughs> and great. that worked really well for like six years. That was my opening oh, wow. joke. <laughs> it was like i'm a new yorker that it said i'm a new yorker i i live here i know what it's like here mm-hmm. and it kind of just sets the table really quickly it lets them know who you yeah. are so yeah that's great so when you um i mean after you got over the hump of i guess doing your your road jokes once you sorted that out did you feel like you got your footing in new york pretty quickly after that like did you get kind of i guess get into the circuit of all the shows and everything um, I don't know. Yeah, it took a while. Like the other thing, like at that time too, there was like, you know, there was either zero female comics per show or one. Mm-hmm. And often, and I'm not blaming the women, you know, but the one happened to be the girlfriend yeah. of the oh, booker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's still some shows that are doing that. I'm sure. <laughs> but it was so hard to break into that, you know, and you know, you just look at the lineup and you're like, and, and then like a couple, I swear they, I'm like, they've got to be talking, right? Like, it's got to be like, Hey, if you book my girlfriend this week and I'll book your girlfriend next weekend, because that's how it looked like on paper. I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know? So it would, that was frustrating. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of, there was a bottleneck for a lot of female comics, like where you just couldn't, you know, you couldn't get into some rooms because yeah. somebody had, someone had taken the female comic spot. I can't imagine what it was like at that time because now it feels really frustrating a lot of the times now. And it, mm-hmm. I know it's not even close to what it used to be. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it just, it, it was, uh, it was annoying, you know, <laughs> but then there were other rooms that weren't and like, um, I started working out at New York Comedy Club, mm-hmm. which at the time, it's a great room now, but at the end, at the time it was owned by Al Martin and it was also a great room, but it was like in the worst condition and it didn't mm-hmm. matter because <laughs> the audience didn't seem to care. Like they just, <laughs> they would, I'm sure you've heard this. They, they historically, again, this isn't the current New York Comedy sure. Club. It was bought and renovated <laughs> and it's, it needs all safety and fire codes, right? But they had like they would cook the George, they had a George Foreman grill next to the cash register. So as people are coming into paying, the cashier's also cooking the food that would be served <laughs> to the to the audience. And you're you're like, well, if you saw that, then you know where you're at. So yeah. you're you're okay. Um, but that guy, Al, put more than one woman on a show all the time. And that okay. that's like one of the few places that happened a lot. And so I got a lot of stage time from him and I got, mm-hmm. you know, I got to like New York myself there. And then um, what, you know, really, really helped me was um, getting on a tough crowd. Uh, I got a, yeah. my first writing job was with tough crowd and the t- tough crowd was like, you know, at the time it was like, it, it took, it took all the best comics from the cellar, which mm-hmm. would be the best room in the city. And to be able to, to uh, any way attach your name to it, it was just like, um, it, it, it really kind of bumped me up of a course. lot. Yeah. So that was really helpful. And How then did that come about, was that something that you were actively pursuing like writing jobs or 
No. In fact, I, again, all the, the writers I knew were guys and mm-hmm. it just didn't, like, I, I'm the type of person I need someone that looks exactly like me to do it first. And then I go, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So they hire people like me. Okay. And, uh, so, but like I had done this, I, I got booked on a show in Cuba, Guantanamo Bay, like oh. comedy central was doing two, a couple USO shows. And okay. this was, this is after nine 11. And, um, and Sue Costello was supposed to go on the Gitmo show, but they flipped her and put her on the, the, the Jersey show. So they put me on the Gitmo show, you know, one woman, <laughs> their one woman allotment. And, um, and then uh, at that show, I mean, we were in Cuba for like four or five days, just hanging out for oh, one wow. show. How was, what was that like? Lenny, it was amazing. It was Lenny Clark, Colin Quinn, Nick DiPaolo, Greg Rogel, Greg Giraldo, Jim oh, Gaffigan, so Modi. Fun. I don't know if I'm forgetting anyone. I don't think I am. I'm probably forgetting one person, but anyway, it was incredible. And I didn't know these guys, you know, mm-hmm. like, even though I had, I, I'm, I was the same age as Gaffigan and Geraldo, you know, I I'd come up on the other coast and I knew Nick DiPaolo cause he'd done the San Francisco comedy competition, mm-hmm. but everyone else was sort of, and, and Greg Rogel from Roadwork, but you know, everyone else is like, who's that? You know, I mean, they weren't snotty. They just didn't know me. You know, yeah. it's not like now where, you know, every comic on every coast, cause you you're in touch on, on Twitter. It's yeah. like, you, you just didn't know these people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I got to kind of hang around and I heard that Colin talking about a show and I was like, wow. And then, and, you know, I, of course I wanted to be part of it because I just want to be part of anything. It's Santa comedy. Mm-hmm. I just, please, I just want to do Santa. Right. And then, um, Again, like how I got into stand up, I, I was talking to later after the Gitmo show ended, you know, we all came back. So at least I knew all these guys, right? And I had right. Colin Quinn's address, his email address. <laughs> so then I heard some comics talking about being writers on the show. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? Like, I've seen your act. You've never written a joke. How are you a writer? <laughs> then, I, then it became clear that he, he just brought in a bunch of people. And so. Yeah. So I just started emailing him like, I'm like, Hey, can I send you some ideas? You know, Uh on the the base, basically my thought was if this guy can be a writer, I can too. And so I just kept pummeling Colin with like, like I just went on like a, some sort of, like, I wasn't getting any sleep. I'd read the paper every, I had like four newspapers every day. I was at Veselka, which is this, um, Oh, I love Veselka. Yes. Somebody drew me a picture of myself writing frantically and gave it to me. I still have it. <laughs> I someplace. love that. Cool. Yeah. But I did that every day and every day I'm like, I'm going to send him 10 ideas. And so every day for like a week, maybe, or maybe it's like five days, but it was a super intense. I'm not doing any stand up. I'm not doing anything, but working on this thing and mm-hmm. sending Colin ideas. And he, and then he relented and he <laughs> hired me for a week and I got there and then the show was already written. It was like, there's nothing to do, but you know, uh-huh. now I, at least I would stop emailing him, I guess. And then, <laughs> and then that was just for the pilot. And then the pilot got picked up and I, and I started over again. I'm like, let me, you know, I'll do a packet. I'll do anything. Let me, you know, let me uh-huh. pack it. So then I, then I did like a regular packet and just pummel them with emails mm-hmm. unsolicited. And so I got hired on the, on the, on the regular show for the two seasons that it, that it aired. And um, that was really just so amazing to, to be able to uh, kind of be as close as you can yeah. be to those guys, you know, like at, you know, Keith Robinson, Patrice O'Neill, Greg Giraldo, yeah. Rich Voss, uh, DePaulo, um, 
uh, Jim Norton, you know, and then that seems I had, like just such a dream show for a comic to be on. Yeah, it is. I mean, I had an imposter syndrome and I was nauseated for the first season, but, but it was still, I'm still, uh, I'm so grateful that that happened. And uh-huh. I went to, uh, Iraq with, uh, Colin and Jim Norton. Oh, wow. I was there for like two weeks, like in 2003, I think, right, right around there. Anyway. Uh, so that really kind of elevated my status is yeah. comic. And then um, doing the Jim Norton roast, mm-hmm. uh, like helped me get past at the cellar. Now I'm not past there anymore. <laughs> like everything you have will be taken away from you. Yeah, that, which is great. That's a, that's yeah. fun. Enjoy what you have while you have it. Cause it will be taken away. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, that was a really, that was a very intense time. I got no sleep. You know, I would do sets every night and I would go to work mm-hmm. all day. Um, I would, I was hosting at the cellar and sometimes you wouldn't get off stage till like two 30 in the morning. Oh so yeah. I was going last because he would always go long. And, uh, and then I'd be like, Oh, and then I have to get up to Harlem and then wake up in time to go to, you know, to work at, at, at tough crowd and stuff. So I was always exhausted, but I was mm-hmm. like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that sounds like the dream life that yeah, sounds totally. so perfect it was it was I had the dream life for a couple of years oh, so <laughs> good uh so when that show ended were you immediately like I want to get on another staff uh, I, I didn't know what to do I was like well what am I you know and and I still would have you know I I I, I wanted to get a half hour on HBO that's kind of mm-hmm. what they were doing and that didn't happen and I just couldn't you know, I don't know. I don't know that I had a manager that was like at the time re- really knew what to do with me, but, um, wait, were you still with the, the lady, that same lady? No, I was with, okay. <laughs> um, the Steinbergs. <laughs> no clue. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> but the, you know, everything, whatever, you know, who, who knows, who, who knows what should have been or could have been anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I wasn't necessarily looking for another writing job. I, cause I, I just liked hanging out with comedians. Mm-hmm. So to me, like a writing job, I'm like, I don't want to hang out with writers. <laughs> <laughs> who are these people? I like, I like being with standups, you know? And then they told you how much, uh, WGA pays and you're like, actually, uh, yeah, actually they <laughs> Some personality quirks that I enjoy. Yes. Love them. Now, then I, then I got a job on the, um, the late, late show with Craig Ferguson. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I stupidly quit that show preemptively because I thought he was going to fire me, but it turns out he wasn't. Oh no. Really Wait, why did you think he was going to fire you? Because I'm stupid. That's why, because I'm stupid. Here's, if you learn nothing else from this podcast, make them fire you. Don't ever quit because you think you're going to fire you. Well, make because, yeah. You. And then they also have to pay out your contract. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, then I went, so, so I leave what, what, what turns out to be an incredibly sure thing and, you know, income for the rest of my life to mm-hmm. go to uh, Adam Carolla's show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lori. <laughs> I like, you know, I don't agree with any of sure, yeah. but I kind of like those grumpy guys as well for some reason. Sure. I mean, a lot of them are stand ups. And um, it's easy to, I, I like um, writing for people like that because I'm like, then I can purge all of that stuff out of my system so yeah. that I can keep my own uh, <laughs> more likable persona on stage. And also sometimes you can like, and you know, hopefully you're thinking maybe I'll just influence it one joke and turn it to the left yeah. a little. 
but it turns out with, without him, he just, um, he doesn't really, he just likes to go off the top of his head. So he didn't, he didn't need writers. And the first Mm -hmm. day the head writer said, well, I hope you guys have screenplays to work on. And I'm like, no, I left left a sure thing because I thought this would be fun. Oh, well, okay, fine. Um, so that show ended and it was replaced by Colbert. So I think Comedy Central just had that in the works. You know, they just maybe had a, had it as a placeholder. I'm really sure. Uh, but you know, it was fun. It was fun. And then, um, uh, then I, then I had a couple years where I, I worked on, uh, this show called the search for America's funniest mom part two. (laughs) Wait, you were like, behind this the scenes or back in new york i go back to new york and i got hired on this this nick nick at night of mm-hmm. course uh known for stand-up comedy yes uh, hires starts a comedy competition between uh for for mom comics for female comics who are parents right Perfect. and um <laughs> you know it's just <laughs> that's when that during that show is when i became pregnant and i think it's because i was so outraged <laughs> <laughs> You like, because you were like, this will be a way to keep my job. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I was I'll like, never buy there was like some really funny comics on. Uh-huh. And then there were some people that they were like, I'm sure they just saw pregnant women were like, Hey, do you want to try comedy for this comic? <laughs> they just pulled them out of target. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, let me have a baby and I'll write some jokes about it. And let's do it. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was, I was, that was when I was sort of, and then I worked on a political comedy website um, that was co-owned by known comedy people, Ariana Huffington. Oh no. Barry Diller. <laughs> I, you know, I appreciate that, um, you know, uh, wealthy people enjoy standup. I right. wish they just wouldn't get involved in it, like fund it and go away. Yeah. You know? I mean, <laughs> they kind of did, but they would often weigh in with mm-hmm. comedy. Especially Ariana Huffington. She did. It was like, okay. Uh, that's why I remember when Elon Musk was starting his own version of the onion, it's like, oh man. Yeah. I, um, I, oh, I no. think that that was like one of the things that gave me like a tiny aneurysm, you know, like so many things that people do. I'm like, no, I actually <laughs> did stop. have an aneurysm two years ago. And oh, now yes, that I think right. it, it, may have, it may have been from Elon Musk's version of the onion. Now that you yeah. Yeah. That tracks. <laughs> so I worked on, but I had a lot of fun. And yeah. the woman that hired me on that w- had worked, I worked with that um, on the Corolla show. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all almost every job I've gotten, I've, I've gotten from fellow writers, fellow standups, you know? Yeah. So she brought me into that and uh, we had fun for a little while. <laughs> it was, it was really insane and crazy. They wanted to be like the daily show of the internet. And, oh. um, and there was really funny stuff on it too, but um you know, whatever. Uh, it, it didn't like almost the day after Obama was elected, uh, mm-hmm. the, the site went down. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know. Um, so, uh, so then I was uh, sort of in trouble, you know, trying mm-hmm. to figure out now I have, I have like a one-year-old and no income and not a lot of savings. Yeah. And- Are you, were you still doing the road at this time also? A little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bit, but mostly because we had to go into the office. The offices were in Soho. That was pretty cool. Uh, but, um, and they were above Huffington post offices. So it was kind of a nice, nice area because uh, Ariana was paying for it. Um, but mm-hmm. um, uh, mostly it was doing spots at night, just, you know, in, in, yeah. in New York. and then um, 
So that maybe went till 2000, early 2009, like right when Obama took office. Um, and then, uh, then I kind of floated around doing road work. I did uh, last comic standing. Um, uh, well, wait a minute. Sorry. Uh, so after, I don't know if you, does the chronology matter that much? So no, like 2009, no, no. I hand from the site goes down. And then the summer I, I got a, a call to work on the Bonnie Hunt show. Um, and I got that call from the executive producer of Corolla. So, the, you know, oh, the wow. Corolla show kept, uh, kept hiring me in, in good. Certain- that's great. Yeah. So I worked on Bonnie Hunt for a little while. Uh-huh. She fired me. And then, uh, and then I was like, I was like, oh man. And Wait, that's um, the one you didn't see coming, I guess. <laughs> the day I met her, I saw it coming. <laughs> ah, all right. <laughs> I knew it's out. Um, but, uh, uh, I did last comic standing after that. And, uh, and then I got to the top 10, like, what was that then, like, well, um, it was, we weren't in a house. It was just mm-hmm. a comedy competition. Greg Giraldo was one of the judges. So I knew from tough crowd, right. Oh, uh-huh. Andy Kindler was one of the judges. So I knew from doing one nighters, mm-hmm. you know, in the nineties and stuff. And, uh, and, and Natasha Legere, I knew a little bit, but not that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was weird to like be performing in front of people you've done, you know, yeah, like, I feel like, like it would be colleagues, you know weird with Natasha too. Cause like, I mean, she's very funny, but she, yeah. she certainly started after you. Oh, so yeah, that's, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was always really nice in the yeah. like agreed with all of her assessments of me. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but still, like once you get to the top 10, then America votes. And uh I didn't get I didn't make I didn't go further. Uh-huh. Um and, but the other thing is nothing happened afterwards. I was like, oh, finally, my ship has come in. Like I'm on NBC, yeah. like three nights, three, whatever, Thursdays in a row, mm-hmm. something's going to happen and nothing. I got nothing. I was like, wow, if this, if I can't, if this can't be parlayed into something, maybe I'm just done with comedy. Right. And then uh, a lot of depression. And then, uh, you know, I heard Conan was hiring and uh, I'd already done a packer for the tonight show. And I was uh-huh. I was so hoping to go right from, from Bonnie Hunt to the tonight show. I'd be like, oh, that'd be such an in your face. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, I didn't, but, but the tonight show also didn't keep going. Right. So, mm-hmm. so when they started up the TBS show, that's when I did another packet and uh, then I got hired for that. And, and then that was, that's, I still that was think like, that's a light, that's, that's up from Bonnie Hunt. Oh, totally. I mean, oh yeah. yeah. No, I had a, a great job with a great, a great, um, like not cast Conan and Ant, just mm-hmm. so many funny people yeah. and, uh, you know, just cool and nice. And it wasn't like political and I, no one yelled at me ever. <laughs> yeah. That seems like I um... yelled on day two of Bonnie hunt, but I, <laughs> no one's ever yelled at me at Conan. Yeah. Women, what can you do? <laughs> I know you can't trust them. And <laughs> <laughs> Conan always seemed like, I mean, I think in the time that I've been pursuing writing and maybe and I'm not I'm not always like in the know or anything but I'm like I'm, I've maybe twice heard of packets which obviously tells me that people loved their jobs there because you, certain shows they're hiring and you you submit a packet and then six weeks later you see they're hiring again and you're like uh-oh <laughs> I know I know I know I know seems true. like things aren't good there <laughs> <laughs> It's like a really bad time. Yeah. I mean, so Dan Cronin said it was like being a Supreme Court justice. Like it was, you mm-hmm. know, a job for life, which, yeah. you know, because you just liked it a lot, you know, like, 
And it wasn't the highest paying job. I know. I mean, I think I heard like a, like a Kimmel writer, writer salary. I was like, what? <laughs> we're, we're on cable. Like we're, since we're on basic cable, we had a special deal, but, uh, uh-huh. but still, I mean, you know, I had so much fun. I laughed super hard every day and uh, you know, I, 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 it ended so abruptly because of COVID, you know, like mm-hmm. we knew he had, we thought, you know, I think he had a deal to go through 2022 if you wanted to mm-hmm. with TBS. And, uh, so we were all hoping, you know, he would just keep going, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, who wants to get a job, you know, and who no, wants to no follow one. this job, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, after, after, you know, like months of zoom shows and all that stuff, I think he, you know, just was like, why, why do this extra year? Why not just end it? You know, and plus the way people were watching and currently are watching late night is, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not, it's, it's not tied to how it has nothing to do with how it was when Conan started when you watched it when it aired. And so it's so different now that I, I don't know. And I think he really, he, he's really likes podcasting. So I think he gets, he gets all that out of him, you know, with his podcasts and stuff. So, um, when he ended the show, it, it was weird. He ended it last June. And of course we all never, we, we got to, it was that very tiny window when, when everyone was getting vaccinated mm-hmm. and things felt safe again. So we all got to be in the studio again. And the last couple of shows had studio audiences and it was really, really fun. But, you know, we, we were, I was at Warner brothers for 10 years. I had an office at Warner brothers for 10 years and, you know, we left it in March of 2020 and we God, just never went so back. Weird. When we went back, it was to get our stuff because the, God, that's so bizarre. It is bizarre. Like you had to be let in one or two at a time. And then I went into the studio where the studio is attached to the offices and mm-hmm. where we, you know, we had a, we had a stage, we had green room, we, we had green rooms, we had bathrooms, we had audience seats, we had everything. And mm-hmm. it was demolished. And I, I like, I opened this door expecting to see what I'd seen for the last 10 years and just yeah. to see pieces of wood everywhere, like a bomb exploded. I was like, oh my God, it was so, it was, it was like a, a really like a punch in the stomach. And then, you know, the offices were so weird in this weird time capsule of just us yeah. leaving for hiatus thinking, you know, we'll see it two weeks, you know, and, and uh, yeah. So, That's so that was, bizarre. I think that was like the biggest, uh, one of the biggest bummers aside from my mother dying of COVID <laughs> was, uh, <laughs> was um, just the fact that we didn't get to, to appreciate like the last show, you know? Yeah, of like, course. The last monologue we worked on the last time we follow Conan out to the mono area where he's going over the jokes one more time, the mm-hmm. last, you know, changing of the cue cards and editing and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and, uh, Conan was like, well, maybe it's better that we didn't know, but I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I wish I had been more conscious of what I was about to lose, but I, of course, I guess none of us could have yeah. seen all of that. I mean, it could, yeah, I guess in some ways it could be better, but it's like, you want to, with, with something that's take that's taken up that much of your life that that that's that significant to you you want to have like a proper goodbye I mean I know that sounds so corny but it's yeah. you know it's wrapping up a decade of your life yeah yeah that's really yeah. tough so, really so tough. you know we did get a heads up on when the show was going to end we, mm-hmm. we knew like six months out but you know at that point we're all working from home and everything just feels shitty and awful anyway 
it was like, oh, another, another shitty, awful thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's the least, uh, least sad COVID story going, <laughs> you know, a guild job ending, but <laughs> no, to that ranks pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> it does when you know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's the, well, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I didn't lose my job in COVID. I lost my job right before COVID. Uh, right, then, right, right. Uh, we just didn't get renewed, but then, you know, when your health insurance runs out, it's like, Oh, Oh yeah. Okay. Well, fuck. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have credits for a little while, you know, which mm-hmm. is cool. Like they'll let you build credits. The guild will like, if you're yeah. like, you're at a show for 10 years, you can build some credits or something, but yeah. it will come to an end at some point. Yeah. So. Well, hopefully you'll get back on another show uh, yeah. fairly quickly. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've been doing just a lot of road work. Of course, this month, January is horrific, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was weird. Like, so I, I, our, my job officially ended in October. And so I just started picking up a bunch of road work and I'm like, wow, it'd be fun to just do this for a year. Like back mm-hmm. in the day when I was a middle before I even yeah. when I lived with my parents and all I did was stand up and how fun that was. Cause when I moved to New York, I got a day job too. And I was like, so I was like always working before mm-hmm. I got to tough crowd. I was working at a web company. So I was always working all day and then doing spots mm-hmm. at night. I was always so tired. And I, I was thinking, wow, what if I just did, just did the road for a year, just to have fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, yeah. And I had a bunch of, it, like I had this whole fall was just been really sweet and great clubs and stuff. And then, you know, Omicron hits and it's like, oh, put the, you know, the brakes and, and then we go again. uncertainty of like, well, what about, you know, somebody offered me something in February and it's like, I, I don't know what February is going to be like. I'm pretty sure July's good. But, you know, yeah. I, I don't know, is, will it be safe to fly to D.C. for a, a private in a place that doesn't check for vaccines in February? Yeah. It's you also, know? you know, the, sh- the more shows that get canceled, the more all the road comics are getting jammed into the same, you know, handful of months. And so it's right. like, yeah, we're, now we're all like pawing at each other <laughs> for yes. dates. Yeah, it's hard. And it's uh, really tough. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I would, and obviously, uh, you know, I have a kid, so I can't, I can't be like a total road dog, you know, but yeah, uh, but yeah I'd, I'd like another job. <laughs> yeah, of course. I miss writing. I miss, you know, standups kind of isolating in a way. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times you're working with people you haven't met before. So you're not, you don't necessarily have like this, you know, okay, let's go to a coffee shop and write. Especially yeah. also a lot of gigs are Friday, Saturday now. So Friday is mm-hmm. a horrible travel day. And then Saturday, you just have to recover from the travel day plus two shows. Yeah. And you're up for the next two shows and you yeah. fly out on Sunday. So it's, it's not even like the old days where a gig was a Tuesday through Sunday and you had nothing to do all week. So you went to movies together and you did a lot mm-hmm. of stuff together. You know, it's kind of different now. There's, they're not, there's not a lot of week long gigs anymore. It's also, um, I feel like the road for me and, and, you know, obviously I'm, I'm much newer, but like it, the most exhausting part is like the social aspect where everybody expects you to like, kind of be on all the time and talk to them constantly. And you're like, I please leave yeah. me alone for the love yeah. of God. I don't want to go to dinner with you, uh, yeah. show producer, booker, whatever. I just oh. want to be left alone. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not the, never the booker. I mean, so, sometimes the comedians, right? Yeah. Yeah. You have a kinship, but then then, like you have a kinship for five minutes and then at minute six, you're like, oh, (laughs) oh, this isn't going to work. 
I mean, I don't have that much in common with this guy. Uh, yeah. So. That's hilarious. Um, you're, I'm, you have a lot of material that's out uh, between the book and uh, your albums and the, and the, I, I have to say, I really, my, both of my parents are alive. Sorry, not to brag. Um, they are wow. shitheads though. It took you 45 minutes, but I knew you'd bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> They are one foot in the grave, but um, (laughs) I really love 45 jokes about my dead dad. It's, it's such a great special. And obviously you're such a great joke writer. Um, you, how, I mean, I, I was one of the people that started following you as you were live tweeting your dad's death. Um, so thanks. You're welcome. Whatever works, you know, whatever gets people on board the Lori Kilmartin train. (laughs) Um, was it that time? I guess I assume it was that time that you spent in the hospital, um, that you were, that you, you know, decided to put together that special. No, my dad actually, he did hospice. They did it at Mm -hmm. at our house. Oh Um, yes. Okay. But, um, no, it was, um, I, I just started telling jokes about it as a comic would. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that like, uh, and the part of me is it, it takes a lot of skill and comfort to be able to go from dick jokes to my dad died of cancer. Jokes, yeah. Right. And so it took me a while to get good at doing that. And now I'm really good at it. <laughs> I don't do my dad. Like now I'm on my mom died of COVID stuff and I open yeah. with it. Uh-huh. And, um, but, but, uh, at the time I wasn't good at it and it hurt to say, cause I, you of know, course. I dearly miss my dad. So, uh, I, I was like, dang it. Maybe I should just do a show where I just say, you know, what's going to be in the show. It's going to be jokes about my dad dying of cancer. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, I thought it would be like 15 minutes long and then 20 minutes. And then when, when I booked a theater and decided to make it a special, then I, that's all I worked on. And that's all mm-hmm. I wrote and stuff like that. So then I, I, I think I made it like 50 minutes or 45 minutes or something like that. But, um, uh, yeah, it's really hard to stick that chunk in a regular yeah. road set without, without just losing half the audience mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. Because their parents are alive or, or they're just <laughs> like, Oh, what, wait, you were just talking about titties and now your, your dad's dead. Wait, I don't yeah. understand. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's like a classic road audience, but you know, they get a group on tickets to the show uh-huh. it's like, they, and they need you to be just one thing the whole Yeah, They through. want you to talk about beer or their, or their rival town or we yeah. don't like all that kind of stuff where you, yeah. so, uh, but again, part of that was on me because I wasn't good at doing that yet. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time to like get good at it, you know? Um, and so I practiced on my dad and then when my mom died, I was like, Oh, I got this. Yeah. Like this is easy. <laughs> this is easy peasy. Um, you also, your, your album came out last year, right? Well, I don't know what year it is anymore. 2021. Yeah. That's last year officially. Cause it is 2022 now. So yeah. Where came did out you record that? I recorded it in 2019. Uh, thankfully, uh, I recorded something then because, uh, of course my mom would die the next year. Mm-hmm. And so I, the chunk of material I have about, because my mom lived with me and I was her caretaker. So I did have a chunk of material about hoping she would die. <laughs> and um, so of course that's not going to work if she's already dead. Right. Yeah. So that was like the, the, the last couple of months that material would work. I, I recorded it uh, at the punchline. So that's good. 
Yeah. How do you feel about it now that it's out? Is that like, that's a psychotic question. I, I feel like, but that's what popped out of my mouth. <laughs> I mean, I, I love about, it about your, your album and everything. Does it feel weird? I guess that, that your mom did pass right after that. I mean, I, I imagine like as a comic, it would, you know, jokes are jokes and you. Yeah. No. Yeah. Jokes are jokes. I mean, uh, yeah, it doesn't feel weird at all. You know, it just, it took a while. I mean, you really helped me. <laughs> you listened to it to their several or all recordings and gave I me. I mean, notes. I hope that was helpful. <laughs> it was. Well, here's the thing. Like you gave me notes and I was like, wait, I have to read these notes now. <laughs> I really wanted the whole thing done without my input, but I wanted the people doing it to know exactly mm-hmm. what I thought <laughs> of course. without I... me having to listen to it. Um, so that was agony. Um, and uh, I'm sure 800 pound girl will never do an album with me again. But, um, <laughs> I'm sure they will. I don't know, but um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it took it took a while to, for me to listen to mm-hmm. it and, and uh, decide what I wanted. And and you know, there's jokes I I I started telling way better, of course, after of course, I yeah. put them on uh, metaphorical vinyl. But uh-huh. oh well. It's always, I think that, that that's something that happens to everyone where, you know, it, an hour when you, after you're done recording, you're like, fuck, I could have exactly. said this. Yes. New and tech. it's like, why didn't my brain just work like that yesterday? I don't understand. I know. I know. It's awful. Oh, always, yeah. always happens. Um, so it would be great to like record an album, right? And mm-hmm. then let a year go by, then you listen to it and you have a special show called redoing these bits. Right. And it's just, <laughs> it's maybe like a 30 minute show where you're just redoing a couple bits, maybe even 15 minutes. Right. Yeah. And you make the sound, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you cheat on the sound and then, uh, then you release what you consider to be the perfect album. I do. I think that that would be something only that uh, only other comics or like the most rabid comedy fans would enjoy. I think most people would yeah. be like, what the fuck? Yeah. They wouldn't care. <laughs> They yeah. wouldn't understand why like we needed listening that. to your album and they're, they're like hitting the turn signal and they're like, yeah. And so the, the thing you think, oh, I said this wrong. They didn't even hear it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. they're, dis- they're distracted. So they just hear the audience laugh every once in a while. And they're like, it's funny. Um, exactly. They, they take their cues from the audience and on the records. I really think they do. So. <laughs> um, so what are you now? I mean, now that that's out and Conan's wrapped and everything, what are you working towards now? Are you like excited to dig into a new hour or are you more focused on writing? Well, here's, I, um, I have a, a bunch of headlining sets from this, this last fall, and I'm trying to like, um, learn to quickly edit them, mm-hmm. um, and grab crowd work out of them and just release those release it separately. Ooh. Uh, so that's kind of like my little project right now is to just put that stuff out. And then I have lots of old tapes and I kind of want to do some like compilations of like, like me in my, in the eighties or nineties going, I'm not going to have a kid. I would never have a kid <laughs> and then to me, you know, yeah. 2007, six going, I'm six months pregnant. <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever I'll, the, the kind of stuff like that, where you can actually see a lifetime over comedy. Like how, if you're mm-hmm. a comic that talks about your life, 
then yeah. it's always going to keep changing, you know? So that might be something. I don't know. I love that. That's, I think a, lot, that's, an that's a lot of listening to excellent me. Idea. <laughs> that is the most painful thing. I would rather have a tooth pulled. I, I mean, honestly, than listen to more of my stuff, but you have yeah. to, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. I've tried to uh, hire somebody else to like pull clips for me. And I'm like, this doesn't work. You don't get it. Um, yeah. And then it costs you money too. Mm-hmm. And you, like you do learn from watching a set that you're pulling mm-hmm. clips from and you, you'll have ideas and you'll go, Oh, you, you, there's so many times I have an idea on stage for like, Oh, I should put this part second, but I, you move on very quickly and you don't remember it again until you're on stage again. And it, mm-hmm. it perpetually stays an idea on stage that you forget to execute. Cause you only remember it after you did it the wrong way. Yeah. Absolutely. So sometimes when you're watching it, then you, oh yeah, that, that thought comes up again, but this time you're near a notebook and you can, you know, just write it down. Yeah. You can't really write stuff down in the middle of a set. It's a, it, you, that's too weird. Oh, some people do, but it's really weird, but it, you know, there's, you know, there's like people like Jerry Seinfeld, I guess, that are just mm-hmm. methodical about, you know, <laughs> like they do a set and then they listen to it and they take notes and then, then they go back up with new tags. And I they- think those people are unwell. I don't know what's going on with their brain that they're able to do that. Thank you. <laughs> the only reason I did this, this show was to hear you justify my inability to do the work. Thank you. I think, I think just being able to do that makes Jerry Seinfeld a monster as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> Um, I, one last question for you, uh, what, if your childhood self could meet you like, you know, eight or 10 year old Lori, what do you think she would think? Wait, the childhood one or me? Like like you, like you as a kid. So me as a kid meeting me. Yeah. Oh God. (laughs) I can't, I can't fathom the disappointment I would feel. Come on. Wait, what did you think when you were a kid? What did you think? I would be famous. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> so I would look at this house that's half the square footage of my parents and be like, what? what the fuck? I would be incredibly disappointed. No. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. I, um, as far I, I and many people think you are famous. Um. <laughs> Four people. It's not enough. <laughs> Look, you're big in what was it, Iraq and uh, and Guantanamo. Those are they love, yeah, they love <laughs> the surviving prisoners. They do love <laughs> the ones we didn't torture to death. Yes, the other, the remaining twelve. Because who else are they seeing? I mean, you didn't, you wouldn't have entertained them. Um, but that is a kind of a funny idea. We should maybe <laughs> see if the government will send us down to entertain the remaining prisoners they deserve it by now they deserve it i'm sure they speak english by now i'm i'm sure they're well <laughs> i mean how long have they been there 20 years yeah, yeah ready for some stand up yeah and they may be doing stand up right now for all we know <laughs> <laughs> hey, we will be sending our avails to gitmo that's what I yes. listen if they're booking i'm going i don't give a shit <laughs> oh, me too yeah <laughs> um, is there what uh what would you like to plug where uh or what what do you want people to check out um i have an album called corset uh so uh listen or um stream or 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 buy you know i always say buy because comedians don't make any money from streaming and this is like for every comic album it's five to ten years of work from Mm -hmm. that person you know so you're getting quality for ten dollars it's really 
it's so little to pay for what the amount of hours that are put into it. And that gives us a shot at having a little bit of money. Yeah. Well, that's great. It's a great album. And I think everyone should get it. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> well, um, thanks so much for being on today. Um, yeah, I can't wait to gig with you in Guantanamo uh, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> for the prisoners. Mm-hmm. All right. I will. Um, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Talk to you soon. Right, bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, that was Lori Kilmartin. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at anylaurie16. It's A-N-Y-L-A-U-R-I-E-1-6. And I am Lisa Curry. You can find me on Twitter at Lisa underscore Curry and on Instagram at Olympian Lisa Curry. As usual, if you're enjoying the show, like, subscribe, tell a friend, write your congressperson. But also, if you want to hear episodes a couple weeks in advance, I am now on SiriusXM. I am playing on She's So Funny, uh, which is their all-women channel, uh, so it's the best one. And episodes will be dropping there a couple weeks before they drop onto streaming services, so you should check that out. And also, there's so many other great shows on there and tons of excellent female comedy. So I highly recommend it, um, not just for me, but for so many other women in comedy. Um, and, and for you, quite honestly, I think you'll really love it. So, um, thanks so much for listening once again and catch you next week. Bye.